Hello and welcome back to the Natural Show. This is Ignacio Valdez from the beautiful Ogden, Utah, in this October 28th. And uh, remember, this uh, show is being brought to you by Fed by Ravens Media and the Path Forward Utah. This show is also being sponsored by the Brixton Potato, the Trump Tater Tater, and also solidifyweb.com. Let's bring a website for you today. So uh, we have the wonderful Kimberly Els. Uh, Kimberly, thank you so much for being here with us uh, in this fantastic show. Uh, I really hope that you're feeling comfortable here and uh, you're being treated really well in this Yes, show. thank you. Thank you. Well, good, good. Okay, so we we were talking about several things, and like I said, um, this will definitely take us for hours. But since uh, you know our our time is limited here in this podcast, um, uh, I want to talk about an, another thing that I that I saw in your book that really caught my eye. Um, we talked a little bit about you know like uh, supply creating a demand for a product you know as per globalism and now we have something here that you wrote on page 121 chapter 13 which is socialist feminism and same-sex marriage now what we understand you know with socialist socialism it, it is stage number one for a communist So, and that is what has been going on. And uh, according to many theorists uh, that I that I keep following um, out there, uh, stage number one of communism, which is socialism, has not progressed all the way into communism. So there's no perfect communism, and the reason why is because it doesn't freaking work. And uh, many countries are have been tried to do it and, and even china uh even china they they supposed to be called communists um you know which they have their communist perspectives but they don't practice it fully because now they have grasped into capitalism because they saw that is you know money money tastes good smells good and it feels good <laughs> you know what i'm saying so so now we're seeing a, a lot of mil- billionaires being made in china like pretty much every month or every week with that being said the perspective of socialism is that you have to be a manly man and fulfill your duty as a manly man and uh, Uh, the the woman uh, to be uh, you know to fulfill the role. Now it is con- contradictory to me that the left uh, in, in itself, and, and I'm not saying anything about your book. Um, the left, they they have adopted the LGBT uh, community, you know, to gain votes and to create demand for their product. All right, so. Why does why does the left do that? I mean, why uh, uh, are they like so much for uh, same same sex marriages, but then on the other side they're like they want socialism? I, I guess I'm not. I'm, I'm a little I'm a little confused. Right. It's a it's a good question. I and I do want to acknowledge that I think um, a lot of people. Even I have a good friend who used to be on the left. 
And she was on the left because she was, she had a very compassionate heart. And um, she kind of, she was one who was not necessarily pushing a radical agenda. She just followed what she felt like was the most compassionate course. And unfortunately, in the end, socialism, socialism and communism are never the most compassionate mm-hmm. course. But but it is understandable on some level to see why people um, would would want to follow those things that at least claim that they would share with everyone and make sure everyone was taken care of. However, we, we know that it's been a fantastic failure and it, and it, and it always will be. Um, yeah. And the reason, one of the reasons why, as you said, there's this big pairing of the left with the LGBT movement um, is because of, and no one wants to say this out loud because it's rooted at family destruction. And again, if you're going to succeed with socialism and communism, you have to break down the family. So there's there's um, one that Karl Marx's right-hand man was Frederick Engels, and I talk about this early in the book. And he <laughs> uh, talks about how, he, he tries to make the case that marriage is unnatural and that the natural way is just to have sex with anyone all the time. And that's how it used to be. And then random children were created and then just anyone took care of them. And, and it was for the public good and how great it was. And he, he says that we need to get back to this ideal, which of course never was and, and never will be. But the other, the other person I, I quote in the book extensively is Shalamath Firestone, who was a, a radical feminist in the 1970s. And she some, said something that's really directly related to what you asked. Because as we've seen, socialism always fails. And she points out why. And this is when it goes along with the core thesis of my book. She says, um, she says, uh, humanity has not been able to eliminate, oh, excuse me. The goal of radical feminism is not just to eliminate male privilege, but to eliminate the sex distinction itself so that sex no longer matters culturally. And then she says, the reason socialism has failed in every instance so far is that it has failed to sever the special cord tying relationship between mothers and their children. Did you hear that? So basically what she's saying is, she's basically saying the reason socialism always fails is because babies keep belonging to their children because mothers keep having babies and that creates privatization. And so that was actually very insightful on her part. And she and I have come to the same conclusion, but her conclusion is therefore we need to to kill it. We need to make sure that we can sever the connection between mothers and their babies. And I, you and I think just the opposite. We think then we need to, we need to foster and support the relationship between mothers and their babies and fathers and their babies and between families, because that's, that is actually the wheel that keeps society moving. It's not this massive planning, you know, central planning machine. It's individual families who can adapt quickly and who have individual power and can apply their resources to their best needs. And that's what mm-hmm. makes society work so well. It's it's never going to work. And, and see, this is actually the, the hopeful message of my book and the, uh, is tied to the, t- the title of the book, The Invincible Family, because with all the socialism being pushed at the global level and at every level, it's not going to win because it can't win because you can't actually destroy the family. The family will always persist, even if it's broken down. And and even if society completely falls apart, what's going to rise again, it's going to be a man and a woman and a baby. And because the the family predates the state and it's going to outlast the state. And so really as, as bleak as seeing things sometimes seem um, in the end, the family is going to win. Because God has designed it that way through anatomy, because as long as as there's men and women and babies, the family will prevail. 
Wow, that and, and you know what? What you just mentioned is is definitely it just comes out out of natural, you know. Uh, human beings, uh, we we want to be private, you know. We we just want to be left alone, and we want to do, uh, we want to raise our families as we please. So you know, and not just human beings, you know, the, the whole animal spectrum, they're that way. Because if you go, uh, if, you know, if you go to uh, to a, um, I don't know, a, a dog that has uh, her puppies there, if you try to if you try to touch one of the puppies, she'll growl out you or 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 the dog. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of like what I'm trying to say. So uh, families they they are private and they do and they do have the godly right to be. They have the godly right to be, and I, I don't understand. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I see the perspective of what the the globalism wants to do with that. That they want to be able to destroy that so they can take control, and uh, living in a utopia type of thing, which I've seen in, in many movies out there that they portray that. Oh, why would it happen if uh, you don't have? I don't know if you if you've seen the island. Um, it, it was a movie like many years ago. Um, that uh, talked about uh, these uh, people that that were clones, you know, of other people, and whenever uh, somebody needed an organ, they will go and take the the clone, and they will live in a utopia where everybody was equal. They were dressing the same way. They will have the same technology, the same shoes, the same hair. Also, I mean. Um, everything, and, and that's that's the idea that they want to implant in in, in ourselves and in the families. And uh, I am here to fight back, and I'm not afraid to do that. And uh, and this is and like I said, I congratulate you once again for your work that you have been doing in writing this book, and I. Hope and pray that this book reaches as many people in the world as possible. If you need translation in Spanish, I will be very happy to help you translate it. So, <laughs> oh, thank no you, thank you. <laughs> and people, people can find the book and more information at invinciblefamily.com. Also, the books on Amazon. Also, I want to point people to another wonderful resource if if uh, people want to know more about how they can fight and and understand the children's sexual rights campaign. StopCSE.org. StopCSE.org. It's a treasure trove of wonderful information and tools to fight back. Fantastic. Yeah, and looks like uh, we do have a uh, here at the at the end of the book. Uh, you, you talk to us uh, a, a little bit more on how we can how we can fight back. I have a I have a curiosity, and maybe you can you can help me uh, find that um uh, that answer on on what i'm thinking on here so i have been seeing lately that in the lgbt community um they they want to or they're fighting to bring on pedophilia as a sexual orientation like you know being gay or lesbian so that is very dangerous i mean i do have friends that are gay Um, you know, I know people that are lesbian. Um, I I have a super, <laughs> I have a hard time with transgender, believe me. But um, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, them wanting to 
to add a bit of uh, pedophilia as a sexual orientation and being part of the LGBT. Yeah, you know, I I think that it's somewhat the opposite. I think that the pedophilia movement is trying to attach themselves to the LGBT movement. I know that there, to be fair, there are many, many people in the LGBT movement who would not uh, appreciate the, the introduction of pedophilia into that movement. But but you see, once you start accepting, once you say you're going to accept any sexual orientation as being illegal and normal, then uh, you've opened a, ca a can of worms. And the, exactly. the, the those pushing pedophilia understand this. And um, unfortunately, they have kind of a foothold very high, um, like I mentioned at the United Nations. For, for one example, um, you probably heard of the Convention on the Rights of the Child. It's this huge document that's supposed to protect children. And it's been in play for many years. Um, most of the nations of the world have signed on actually the United States of America has not, thank goodness, because of all the problematic things that are in it. However, the man who wrote that handbook, the handbook that goes with the Convention on the Rights of the Child, there's two co-authors. One of them was named Peter Newell, and he was committed of rape. He was convicted of child rape. And so to mm. me, what wow. the man who, who wrote the international document uh, defending, showing how people should implement the Convention on the Rights of the Child throughout the world. He's a child rapist. This is a known fact. This should give us a clue of what these people are really after. They're, now, some of them really do want to protect children. There are people out there, even at the United Nations, to be fair, who really are trying to protect children. But the fact is, many of these um, global organizations have been infiltrated and bought on to the children's sexual rights movement. And that, that's just such a blatant example to me. The guy who wrote the handbook is was <laughs> committed child rape, and it's a known fact. So we have wow. to look at that. And uh, um, there's, uh, I saw, maybe you've seen the video circulating. There was a a school official in California who was questioned about teaching pedophilia in the classroom. And she on tape said that it's, that's just another uh, pedophilia is another sexual orientation that has existed throughout time. And so that they, it needs to be presented as one of the things that has existed as a matter of history. Yeah. And so, well, that may be true that it's been around a long time. Do we need to be putting that forward in our schools? Most parents and most reasonable people would say no. Of course. Of course, and it's it's very uh, gosh, it it is very dangerous what they're doing in our schools. You know, uh, I'm sure you are well aware of the SEL um, uh, and a couple of podcasts, uh, a couple of episodes that I had in the past. I, I had um, a special guest. Uh, uh, her name is Miss um, uh, Klein. Natalie Klein. Uh, Natalie Klein. Uh huh. Yeah. She was in my podcast, and uh, she is a huge defender of the educational system. And uh, you know, some people kind of don't like her because of that. And uh, I, I feel very honored to have her in my show. Uh, she. She's, she's a good. She's a good friend of mine. I wrote an article defending her in the Salt Lake Tribune. So okay. she's my friend. Fantastic! Woohoo! Yeah. yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, I, I don't like the Salt Lake Tribune whatsoever. They're they're leftists. Um, but but anyway, so yeah, she I support her endeavors on defending education. She talked a lot about uh, how uh, SEL is being in our schools and uh, how they uh, are like uh, pitching. Uh, uh, 
equity, you know, to our kids and uh, and, and how they're infiltrating um, into the educational system one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, very, very insightful. Actually, there are two episodes that I did with her. And, yeah, it, that's a really important topic of social emotional learning and how that's being pushed. And there's actually a whole... Uh, chapter in my book called the global hijacking of education that talks about many of these issues one specifically is sel social emotional learning and one quote to keep in mind but that uh, vladimir lenin said as he said give me four years to teach the children and the seed i have sown will never be uprooted so that's you see why the the schools and other entities are trying to go earlier and earlier to influence children at their the youngest ages um, I, Jordan Peterson, same thing. He says that a child's character and social ability is largely in place by age four. That's why moms and dads are so important. And that's why wow. children are given to moms and dads, not to the state, but more and more, you know, the state and other entities are trying to get their hands on our children when they're very little and, and now in the name of social and emotional learning. But guess what? There's no one better to teach a child social and emotional learning than their mom and their dad. And, and it, that will always be the case. And if anyone else trying to put their fingers into the pie is um, doing so with ill intentions, almost always. Exactly. And you mentioned something very, very 100,000% correct. The the best teachers that you could ever have in, in your life and I'm also going to say missionaries because that's how I consider my parents uh, to be is that you are, well, you as a mom and, and, you know, me as a dad and, and, and everybody that, that, that is a parent, you are the teachers, whatever you do, your, your kids will do as well. Um, things that you follow more than likely your kids will follow. Uh, Is it politics? It could be sports. It could be patriotism, whatever. You are the example of your children. And we as parents, we do do have a, a humongous responsibility to teach our children the right ways. And uh, it is happening uh, right now in our world. I mean, not just in things that we currently do. There are eternal wars like that we see in the Middle East uh, that, um, you know, the the war in the Middle East should have been ended a long time ago. If it was not because uh, the parents would talk to their children about how hateful they are of Israel and you know, and so on, and and back and forth. So I don't know. That's just another topic. But but did, did you see what I'm saying? Did you see what I'm what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, yeah. The the teachers are the prime. The parents are the prime teachers, and they're meant to be, and they're the most effective ones. And again, that yeah. that can be a very hopeful message because as the world becomes darker and and more and more ideologies are pushed on our children, our teaching still remains paramount, and they will still listen to us more than they will to other voices because we right. love them. And, and they can sense that. And so we, we as parents are in a, in a unique position, an important position that needs to not be relinquished. And, and, you know, more and more, especially mothers are being told that, that motherhood is a meaningless, it's a meaningless way, meaningless way to spend your life. And my message is it's the best way to spend your life and the most meaningful and the most long lasting and its consequences. And, and, uh, most parents, most parents know that mm-hmm. there's a chapter in the book, chapter 22, and it's one of my favorite stories in the whole world. The chapter is called In the Cellar. 
And it mm-hmm. talks about the parents of Hungary when they were in the grip of communism and the worst, almost the worst possible situation you can imagine and how they raised what they call holy patriots anyway, even under those, those circumstances. And so um, even if you read nothing else in the book, chapter 22 is really inspiring and shows us the power we have as parents and how we can in our individual families fight back about this against this agenda, which seems to be surrounding us. It is not impossible and it can be done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it definitely can. It definitely can. And like I said, I'm there with you, uh, supporting you 100 uh, percent, Kimberly. Uh, uh, I want to let you know to keep up, keep up uh, with your work. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Are you writing any other book? Um, no, not not currently. Just the okay. one. So if you would write another book, what would it be about? Would it still be about the family or? Yeah, well, secretly I write children's books, but they've not been published yet. So that's kind of my oh. secret passion. But but yeah, I do a lot of writing. Um, I publish about every two weeks in, in, in national uh, publications. So that keeps me very busy. So I write articles about the matters that are addressed in the. So don't worry, Ignacia, I'm not sitting still <laughs> doing nothing. I'm still writing. But, but But yeah, The Invincible Family is my major work right now. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you do. So now I think uh, this question will be more about globalization. And I really need to bring somebody on the show to talk more about globalization. But uh, since uh, you worked a lot uh, in, in this, organiza- on this organization, um, so what is the main mission? I, I guess, I, I don't know. I think I'm missing the boat here or something's going on, but what is the main mission of the United Nations currently? Well, it all started out in 1948 with, with seemingly noble intentions to keep war out of the world and, and so forth. Um, encourage education, you know, cooperation between the nations. Those are all great ideas, but the question is, how are you going to promote those ideas? Are you going to force global socialism and communistic ideas, or are you going to teach freedom and let individual families and communities and nations work out those those issues? And so unfortunately, um, from what I've witnessed, the, the, the overall goal of globalization is to globalize socialism mm-hmm. and then communism. And for some reason, they think that even though it hasn't worked on any small level basically ever, that once we go global, then it, then it will work. And that once we have all the wealth in the world, then we can just simply redistribute it fairly and everyone will be happy. And that just is not how human nature uh, works, you know? And so they push and push and push to globalize everything when what we really need to do is be focusing much smaller on each individual family and the power that naturally resides there. And, and as parents and families never give that up, never give the, the training of your children to, to other people, never stop, stop teaching. So um, unfortunately the, the global agenda is um, moving forward at a kind of horrific pace, wow. but, uh, but it's, it's not hopeless because we're on the side of the family. Fantastic. Fantastic. So can you, uh, so just to, to end this, uh, this show, thank you so much for being here once again. Uh, can you, you tell us where, where, where can we go uh, to read your book? Uh, how, sure. how do we, how do we have access to it? The easiest place is on Amazon. You can order the print book. There's a, a audio book available as well. You can download it instantly. Um, also invinciblefamily.com is my website, which has other buying options on there, invinciblefamily.com and Amazon. And I do want to reiterate, stopcse.org as a resource to parents and families and communities. 
Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, uh, Kimberly. I definitely appreciate you accepting my invitation uh, Thank I, I, you. Out, of, out of the blue. <laughs> I, I was would... happy to. I'm so pleased to be here. Yeah, thank you so much, Kimberly. Uh, uh, we definitely would love to have you uh, in another in another show, do uh, part number two, uh, talk about more about these issues. And uh, yeah, it's definitely something that uh, that needs to be addressed. And uh, please, guys, uh, go uh, go to and purchase this book. It is fantastic. Uh, I enjoyed uh, reading it, and and definitely enjoyed discussing about it today. So thank you, Kimberly. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> remember everybody uh, this is uh, the nacho show brought to you by fed by ribbons media and the path forward utah also being sponsored by the brickstone potato the trump tater tater and solidifyweb.com and uh, we will see you next time take care and happy birthday to me <laughs> <laughs>
um, uh, a couple of weeks ago um, about your book, and uh, we um, I hope I'm hoping that we can uh, talk more about that uh, in, in this uh, in this show, so everybody can uh, know about this uh, fantastic book uh, called The Invincible Family. And uh, um, as I was explaining, um, you know, before uh, coming into the show, you know, I'm a conservative guy uh, that believes in uh, in God and uh, that believes in conservative principles. And one of those main conservative principles that I hold very dearly is family. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that's being politicized by the left a lot. Uh, but we'll just go ahead and concentrate on that. Um, and uh, I just want to hear your perspectives on, on the family and uh, uh, tell us more about your book. But, but what we would like to hear from you right now is uh, um, <clears throat> your background. Uh, how did you start being a, an author and what made you get this book started? And if you can just uh, give us a little bit more of a background. Sure. Thank you. So about <clears throat> several years ago, maybe eight years ago, I was doing some research online and I found a document that was really alarming to me. It caused me a lot of concern. And what it was, was a, it was a document all about the children's sexual rights movement. And, um, it was, mm -hmm. I discovered it was published by international Planned Parenthood Federation. And, wow. um, I was pretty, pretty surprised. I, I didn't know that this kind of a thing existed in the mainstream um, as far as openly promoting sexual rights for children. And at first I didn't think it would, it was real. I thought who, who, what kind of people would be promoting this, but <laughs> I, I realized it, it was real. And um, so I decided that day that it wasn't going to go on in the world without me fighting it. And at the time I had no intentions of writing a book, um, but what did happen in pretty short order is I, um, became aware of an, an organization that was already fighting this fight at the United Nations level, Family mm -hmm. Watch International. And so um, by the grace of God, I feel like I found them quickly and was able to kind of join forces. And uh, I've learned, have learned a lot on this journey um, since joining. I've been to the United Nations a couple of times. Um, I've spoken there, um, spoken at various venues across the nation about the family and about these issues. Um, the, the children's sexual rights campaign is just one of the issues that's on the table, but it's one of the most important ones. Um, and mm -hmm. so I fight on that front as well as <laughs> whenever I get a chance, I like to talk about the positives as a family as well. But right. we do have to unfortunately face the opposition and um, expose what's what's being presented to children and the philosophies that are being peddled um, uh -huh. in the mainstream so that we so that we can be prepared as families to fight them. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic work. And uh, it, your your story um, is kind of like mine, you know, with uh, with politics and, and everything like that. So um, in this in this show, uh, Kimberly, uh, I just would like to let you know that uh, you can say whatever you want. Um, we we are all for uh, free speech. And, uh, you know, in this podcast, you will not be silenced. So please, please, by all means. Um, yeah, you can say uh, anything and everything except for the F word. So that, okay. that's what I, that's what I, I won't be doing that. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. So, yeah. So, gosh, it, it just makes me super upset. It upsets me beyond belief uh, how 
our children are being exploited. Uh, they are being sexualized. And uh, the leftist media, and I'm going to say it because that, that's what it is. Uh, the leftists and progressives, they are trying to make that look like something normal. And it is not normal that uh, they're allowing children to uh, inject hormones and uh, um, uh, go out there dressing like grown-ups uh, in a certain way. Um, I really do not enjoy that. And it is disgusting. Um, and I am so glad and happy that uh, you're fighting this. Um, and uh, um, th this is what we're, um, you know, up against, uh, Kimberly. And uh, just like I have mentioned to all of my guests, and I will be there with you shoulder to shoulder to fight for freedom and to fight for great conservative values for our world. And uh, um, uh, this is my way uh, to to fight um, through my podcast, um, you know, s saying how things, how things are, and uh, I'm not afraid of it. And uh, I support you and I salute you for what you've been doing. So um, yeah, my pleasure. So uh, can you, uh, can you tell us more about more about this book, The Invincible Family? Yes, absolutely. So uh, along with the children's uh, sexual rights movement and exposing and fighting against that, um, there are a lot of other, the main point of the book is to expose what the central core of power is in the world. And that's the family. Mm -hmm. And so often people look to government or the White House or different entities and think that that's where power resides. And while there is power that resides there, there's a greater power that resides within the family. And that's by design. And so one of the things mm -hmm. I talk about in the book is um, specifically the power of women. Um, uh -huh. I, not to discount the power of men, the power of men and women is complementary and in fact, different. And so of both of them are important. And so uh, from my perspective as a woman, I'm, I focus a little bit more on the motherhood side. And there's a reason for that, though. Um, we kind of take it for granted that people's children belong to them right like when a baby's right. born we we just assume that it belongs to the woman who gave it birth and we assume that mm. the the man who is the father but the baby belongs to them and but that's that's not just by accident uh -huh. um when a baby's born there's no question who the mother is well unless there's been egg swapping or other you know gender or uh, sexual reproduction techniques but by and uh -huh. large throughout history the woman gives birth to a baby it's hers and so that's where, um, as I explained in the book, that's where the whole idea of privatization comes from. And that's uh -huh. why um, socialism, which is which wants society to be publicly oriented and publicly regulated, uh -huh. why socialism and the family always butt heads and why socialistic principles and socialistic leaders are always trying to hack away at the family um, because it, it represents greater power than they have. But the brilliant thing about the family is you really can't destroy it. Because as long as there are men and women that exist, and as long as they have babies that are born and belong to them, then that's the source of private possessorship. If we say that child right. is mine, then that's not a collective notion. That's an individual notion. And, and that's rooted in the anatomy of women. And so that's mm -hmm. one a kind of unique thing that, that is explored uh, in the book. Um, I also talk a lot about uh, how on the why the family works like it does. So it creates families at birth. There's this little 
child that belongs to its parents. And the parents have both the opportunity and the responsibility to care for that child. Mm-hmm. And as, as life and experience has sh- has borne out, that's the model that works the best. Like it wouldn't work as well if, if, if like the tale goes, if babies were really, you know, born out of a cabbage patch or whatever the fable might be, mm-hmm. where people just come and pick one up, the, the level of commitment to the child and the level of belonging is simply not there. And so the family creates a little pod in the universe where the child can be prioritized and where the child can be um, nurtured according to what the people who love it best think is best for that child. And so the family has this really unique um, power that everybody else seems to be trying to get their fingers on. And so far that's, that's been unsuccessful. And again, I think that's by the design of God. Amen to that sister. (laughs) So, so yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And uh, it's definitely the family. It's been designed by God. And uh, it is uh, it is sacred, and uh, it, like I said, it just uh, it is abnormal uh, that um, there are other ways that other people call family. Now, l- let me ask you another question here. Uh, we we do understand. Uh, let's just kind of like go go by by parts here. Um, I do understand, you know, that the LGBT uh, community is uh, defending a lot. Um, uh, adoptions or you know by homosexual um, partners what what is your take on that um i i, I think i think it's not right you know from, from my, my point of view uh, but i would love i would love to hear yours yeah thank you and um, i know that's a sensitive topic because the desire to be a parent is, is a positive one right the desire to have uh, posterity uh, is is a good desire that most people have. However, and I explain this, uh, I'm just going to talk in a nutshell here, but I explain this in a full chapter and multiple chapters actually in the book. But but yes, you've pointed out that um, now as same-sex marriage has come to the forefront and been framed as a right and been legalized in so many places, that's, that's really critical because um, because sexually non-diverse couples or same-sex couples can now marry parenthood is being framed as a right so Mm -hmm. it used to be that if a man and woman get married they just can produce a child together most people unless there's infertility problems but most people can just produce a child but and it's their their right and opportunity to do so but the problem is now that same-sex marriage has become legalized then parenthood is being framed as a right for people of, of any combination of, of sexes. And the problem there is that that stands in opposition to every child's right to know and be cared for by his or her own parents, which is cited in, you know, even in the UN's own documents, that's a right for the child. So when you, when you say that a, a person has a right to have a child, that's problematic because that means, for instance, if two men are married, and they want to have a child, again, it's an it's a noble desire. But what that requires is, that there has to be a woman in there somewhere (laughs) because Uh you don't get a child without a woman, which goes back to the primal power of of womanhood. But also then it, it requires that the child give up one of its, one of its biological parents, at least one of its biological parents, depending on whose sperm and whose egg is used and how much uh, Uh swapping and and money changes hands, then it it prioritizes the so-called rights of adults to procure a child 
over the child's rights to be possessed and known and cared for by its own parents. And that's the problem. It's not that that uh, gay parents would not be good parents, per se. Uh -huh. The problem is that it totally undercuts the child's right to its own biological parents. And when you start down that road, when you start to say that it doesn't matter who created a child um, or, or who's involved, Great then point. You're, you're going down the road to family destruction. And, and unfortunately, that's where it's leading legally, because more and more we're saying, well, it doesn't matter as long as the child is loved. It doesn't matter where it came from. It doesn't matter how it was produced. Well, anatomy seems to indicate that it does matter. And, you know, mm. and as well as social science data throughout, you know, recorded time indicates that children do best with their married mother and father and that both the influence of the mother and the influence of the father is unique mm. and needed by a child. So in same sex marriage situations, um, of course, they may love their child very much and their, their child hopefully loves them back very much. But it's the legal consequences of going down that road that is, is most concerning, as well as the, the forced surrender of the child's rights to its own parents. That that is the real issue, as, as well as um, it brings money. It, it brings money into the equation of, of child production when there's just a man and a woman who produce a, a child from their own love. There's no money that changes hands there. And. Um, unless you have a surrogacy situation wherein a woman just yeah. donates a child, which is on its own problematic. So in commercial surrogacy, the child is in fact purchased. And that, that is a problem mm -hmm. when we, when we, even when a, when a child is adopted, the birth mother is, is not paid for the child. Her, her medical expenses may be covered or various things, but she purposely has never been paid for the child because that monetizes her. It monetizes the baby. It changes the whole relationship of what it means to be a family. And so um, the marriage equality paradigm exchanges mothers for money. It says, you want a baby? You can have one. You just pay a woman and you can you can get one. And that's a problem. Yeah. And yeah, it is being it is being commercialized and also politicized as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm all I'm all for, for free market. You know, that's totally fine. I don't know, but as long as you do it honestly and in with a with a good in a good way, and I've seen this, uh, you know, with uh, you know with the law of attraction and everything like that. So if uh, and, and somebody explained this to me that if you do something bad, then sooner or later you may not get caught right now on what you're doing, but then later on maybe th that's going to come out to the light. And then that's when the trouble begins. So basically that is what our government is doing. And there are, obviously there's so many people out there that really are for that and they're nor normalizing it. And uh, they're, they're just uh, treating the sanctity of the family like it is a product. And that's not healthy whatsoever. That's not healthy whatsoever. And uh, there are so many things uh, uh, here in your book um, that I, I would love to, to talk about, but I think we're going to need like a, like a, fi like a five hour podcast or something, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the, the main point here is that um, how, how the government really wants to take on everything they want to they want to take on um, health care they want to take on the family just whatever whatever thing that allows them to control the masses 
that's what they want. They just want to control. I still need yet to uh, to have a podcast on globalism uh, and the United Nations. And now that, that you you brought the, the United Nations, I'm I'm super curious about your involvement with the with the United Nations. Can you can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the, the organization I'm affiliated with, Family Watch International, has worked to the United Nations for 20 years, fighting uh -huh. to defend the family and also protect children from early sexualization. And let me tell you, it's a ferocious fight. And I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've heard for years, oh, there's a war on the family. And I, I just thought it was more theoretical. But when I went there and saw it for myself, it is dumbfounding. Mm -hmm. Like I, I wow. sat, you know, a few feet from from people who are openly promoting sexual rights for children and, and uh, not, it's not just a few people. So the UNESCO, the, you know, the, the organization, uh, the United Nations organization that's over, that <laughs> puts itself in charge of education for the whole world. They put out a document a few years ago, a couple of years ago called the international technical guidance on sexuality education. And so let me read you a couple of excerpts from that to give you sure. a, a taste of, of what this is about. It, it says, <laughs> this is a quote, young people want and need sexuality and sexual health information as early and as comprehensible as possible. The next one, children should have agency in their own sexual practices and relationships. The next, comprehensive sexuality education can help children form respectful and healthy relationships with sexual partners. Partners, plural. We're talking about children. And so, uh, and here's one more. It sexual, says sexual pleasure. This is from a different document by International Planned Parenthood Federation. It says sexual pleasure is an important part of being human for everyone. No matter what age, no matter if you're married or not, and no matter if you want to have children or not. So that's the philosophy wow. is that sex is only for fun and it has nothing to do with family formation or commitment or love. It's just, just for fun. And that everyone at every age has a right to it, particularly children. Now, why would they be so interested in getting children hooked on sex? It's because what you said, Ignacio, that, that uh, if you, if you addict, addict a child to sex and get them started down that road, well, there's two things. First of all, um, you're going to ingrain in their young minds this ideology that family is not important, sex is important, separate from the family. And also, mm -hmm. if you're International Planned Parenthood Federation, that's convenient because if you sexualize kids and get them having sex as early as possible, what are they going to need? They're going to need your services. They're going to turn exactly. to you for birth control and, of course, <laughs> abortion, their their main moneymaker, you know? And so it, yep. it's just really insidious because it's it's they frame the comprehensive sexuality education as if it's some wonderful gift to children. And what it really is is a monetary gift to them to themselves. Uh, and they're preying on the children and families in the world. And, and I just didn't understand that until, until I saw it for myself. And so what you have is you have UNESCO, you have the UNFPA, uh, UNICEF even, who is supposed to be the protector of children worldwide. They are, they, their logos are all on, wow. on the document that I just quoted from. And the so UNICEF? they, yeah. And, wow. uh, there's a, a document that they produced all about children's rights. Um, and of course, children do have rights and those are valuable. But the problem is, and I've learned this, is they, they make it about children's autonomous rights, children's rights as opposed to and separate from their parents. And children have wow. parents for a good reason that they, they're, they're still learning and they need guidance. And so anyway, there's this really insistent, but kind of has been subtle, but now it's getting less subtle push to minimize parents' rights and emphasize 
children's rights so that you tell kids, hey, kids, here's all this wonderful stuff. And so some of the, the main the main things that are presented to children as rights are the right to sexual pleasure, the right to sexual information, regardless of your parents, and the right to contraception and abortion. So as you can see, it's an insidious agenda that's being pushed. Oh, my gosh, that I am in awe, Kimberly. Uh, I definitely uh, it is surprises me that this exists at, at the UNESCO level and at the UNICEF level. I mean, I, I kind of grew up. I, I grew up in Mexico, and Mexico does have a very big market for for uh, the UNICEF. There are so many shows, but but anyway, we're, we will go ahead and talk about more about this when we're back from our break. Uh, because it, I am very astonished of what I just heard from you. In organizations that are supposed to defend our children, they are creating a demand for a product, kind of like the virus. But anyway, when we come back, well, remember, this is uh, the Natural Show brought to you by Fed by Ravens Media and the Brickstone Potato, the Trump Tater Tater. And we will be right back after this. After. 